Hello, MCU cast listeners. Before I get into the business of what I'm here to do today, I just want to let you know that the winner of the Review Drive contest will be announced uh, on Tuesday's episode. We're recording Tuesday, uh, 6 p.m. Central, so you can come join us live, or we will be dropping it in the feed the next day or so. So uh, we will be having the winner will be announced very, very shortly. Uh, we had a few tech issues um, on getting all of the reviews collected because there were like international reviews and we didn't want to miss anybody. So took the time to get it all done, but we will have a winner on Tuesday. Well, it is October and I wanted to take the opportunity to let you guys know about other things going on in the stranded panda verse that are sort of Halloween related since it's that time of the year. Uh, because you know, we may do some sort of Halloween episode uh, where we've got some things cooking, but, uh, we've got so many other shows and they're all doing really cool things for like the season as it were. So many of the stranded panda podcasts are out there doing killer Halloween related content. We have Bingers Assemble is covering Halloween kills right now. Uh, they're doing all th- uh, three of the uh, sort of canon Halloween movies. Over on Pandavision, they're covering what we do in the shadows. Um, and on Superhero Ethics, they're doing True Blood with uh, featuring Ashley Coffin, uh, who's going to be covering uh, that with Matthew Fox over there. Even Legends and Libations is getting to the action. Of course they are. They have to. Uh, so Ashley and Jeff on the next two Thursday nights are going to be covering uh, Halloween related myths and legends. So uh, that's our Twitch streamed live show. So check out our twitch.tv slash Trinity Panda TV and uh, Thursday night, I believe at 7 PM central uh, they uh, start legends and libations. So check that out in, in celebration of all this Halloween times. I wanted to drop this episode in the feed. This is an episode that uh, was recorded almost two years ago. It's actually the first, First podcast that Ashley uh, recorded all on her own. Sam Raimi had just been announced as the director of Multiverse of Madness, and we were so excited about it. And she is a huge Sam Raimi fan, particularly the Evil Dead films. And so her and her friend Brian Brennan from DeLorean Productions, uh, they went out in the woods. It's such a cool episode because the first thing she recorded, it's such a neat thing because she goes out in the woods and it's like literally you can hear like the crickets in the background. It sets a real vibe, but they just talk about the work of Sam Raimi. Uh all of his Spider-Man stuff all the way back to Evil Dead and Evil it's it's pretty Evil Dead uh focused. And the reason I wanted to drop this in the feed is because, you know, with Sam, with that movie coming so soon, it's time to look back at some Sam Raimi stuff and Evil Dead's 40th anniversary was this weekend, which is insane. Um, I realized that's before I was born, but like, it's such a huge movie for me. Uh, I, I fell, I fell into Army of Darkness as a kid, loved that movie, and then, uh, went back and caught the other Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 later. But, um, yeah, I love, I love Sam Raimi, I love Evil Dead, uh, got a, got an Army of Darkness poster right behind me, actually. Um, so, check this out. It is sort of tangentially MCU related, and, uh, it never got dropped in the MCU cast feed, so I wanted to give you guys a chance to hear it. Uh, but, like I said, Listen to this, but check out StrandedPanda.com. We've got so many shows right now doing great Halloween content. Bingers Assemble, Pandavision, Superhero Ethics, and Legends and Libations Live this Thursday. So, all the things. All the things. I'll put links in the show notes.
Enjoy. Today on a very special Halloween episode of PandaVision, we are stepping out of the coffin and traveling deep into the Tennessee woods to do a deep dive on director Sam Raimi and his impact on horror and influence on the genre of superhero films as we anxiously await his newest project, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. All that right after this ad we have no control over. Panda Vision, the Stranded Panda podcast where we usually take a deep dive into the standalone geeky TV shows that we all love, but today I have a very special guest. I'm Ashley Coffin, and I'm joined by Brian Brennan, writer, director, filmmaker, editor extraordinaire. He has a vast knowledge of horror and his opinion on film. I hold much horror than pretty much anyone else I've ever met. Wow. Brian, thank you for joining me. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. This is Halloween. We're outside in the woods. Anything can happen. No, we are here to talk about directors, Sam Raimi. Um, so I'm going to start with a hokey question right off. Sure. What was the first Sam Raimi film you've ever seen? Uh, Evil Dead. Yeah. The original, yeah. That very, did you see, um, what was the one he did before that that was the original? Uh, Within the Woods. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't see that till after. Um I saw Evil Ed 2, and that's what really turned me on to Sam Raimi. And all of them are basically the same movie, just remade. It's crazy. There's like three versions of the same movie. Yeah, well, you know, if you like something, you stick with it. (laughs) How old were we when you saw the first one? I believe I was 13 when I saw... It was Evil Dead 2 that I saw when I was 13 in my buddy's house, and that's pretty much what made me want to get into filmmaking and kind of do what I do now and yeah that's kind of I was seeing which where was it like what film kind of sparked that interest and was it kind of was it Evil Dead that really got you into it was Evil Dead 2 actually the second one I, yeah I mean yeah. there's so much about that movie to love <laughs> and the first one's great the second one he just basically again remade it and cut off some of the fat and did it a little bit cleaner and nicer and much more of a sense of humor and, and kind of like the style of those guys reflects in that movie more than the first one which was more of like a not campy at all but a little bit but it's more of like you know the couples going up into the woods and staying in the cabin and you know the story we've all seen a million times but <laughs> it's um from learning about how they filmed the first one like finally having money and being with the studio backing them um who who came, I think it was Dino De Laurentiis that came to them or who I can't remember who the liaison was between them and Dino De Laurentiis that got him to give them money to help back the film I'm not 100% sure actually I don't know did he do all three of them I know he definitely backed um, Army of Darkness. Yeah, he did. And Darkman. Did he do, and yeah, because well, that was when they were Renaissance Pictures. They made him and Rob Tappert was like his buddy from uh, Detroit suburbs. They all grew up together, and uh, I know Renaissance did all those movies after that, and that was like their standalone company. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know how they got 
funding for the first one other than just a lot of well a lot of knocking on doors exactly like a lot that, of grassroots uh, it's, the, the the first ones yeah so let's talk about the first one f- for a little bit that the way that um, that is filmed for the time is so forward thinking for directors uh, he it was grueling <laughs> the, the actors and the crew and everybody went through torture like they, they found a cabin you know first first you have to beg and knock on people's doors to get funding and you know it's interesting to find you know you just call rich people and just be like hey do you want to back this yep and maybe you'll get your money back but uh you know you try to sell it yeah you just have to hope people are ready to support the arts and <laughs> some people are and some people are definitely not and we thank those people exactly absolutely <laughs> every day and they they found this rundown cabin in the middle of the woods in tennessee and of course filming went behind and they started almost in winter time yep and uh just from the prosthetics the the new age way of, of trying makeup and yep. you know cans of blueberry pie and milk <laughs> condensed milk yeah everything yeah, they could get their hands on and um which was great because again at that point there were so many cheesy horror flicks italian horror flicks where they were just using like bright red almost paint for the blood and it just did not work and so what they did with you know changing up the color of a lot of different blood and giving them you know kind of making it more otherworldly you know black blood and white blood and i know for the second one obviously they had to change the color of blood for it so they didn't get a nc-17 rating oh so they had to actually because they had it was just blood the whole time and they actually had to go back and redo a bunch of stuff with different colors because then that was more acceptable i guess (laughs) the first one the the studios were like so uh what rating is this and they're like rating oh um i don't know like so let's talk about the tree rape (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah uh but it's like it's so crazy because that's one of the craziest things i've ever seen in a movie and it's within the first 20 minutes and by the end of the movie you've completely almost forgotten it because it's just this descent into craziness unlike anything i've ever seen in a film yeah everything just compounds and the stuff in the beginning seems so much lighter compared to where it ends up ultimately at the end and so um uh, Raimi got the idea to do the Evil Dead by um, taking a language, like a ancient language and stories class in college, which talked about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. And this is how we can kind of tie into uh, Lovecraft Country. Um, the Necronomicon is a story by H.P. Lovecraft. And after Raimi heard about that in school, he came right back to Bruce Campbell and was like, I have an idea and uh, you're going to hate it. <laughs> and it started out as a film called in the woods yeah and it's just fascinating like how many things actually came from you know hp lovecraft like it's well i believe the necronomicon is a real book right it's an yeah. ancient uh, egyptian book a text i think if i'm Sum- sumerian, sumerian probably like, yes. yeah okay. but so yeah lovecraft obviously paved the way for most a lot of storytellers at that time but he's even drawing from stories that are older than him and i love it it's just like let's just get a you know group of kids in the woods on an ancient evil on an indian burial ground is how it started (laughs) (laughs) 
and um, his shots, like the way he would do the demons in the woods uh, during the broad daylight, you know, coming for people with these extraordinary shots. Like mm-hmm. as a director, like you probably know, like how hard it is to actually rig something up, especially in 1978, yeah. to get those shots. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the stuff that they used was just. Uh you know, again, budgetary-wise, you have to work with what you have. And I know that they used for, you know, the famous shots of the POV of the demon coming through the woods. It was just a camera on a, a long board of wood that they carried on, you know, two people. <laughs> and then just ran through the woods with it. And, it. and it looks amazing. And it's like an iconic camera angle shot that's been used so many times after that. Um, and basically mainstreamed. Um, but again, now they have steady cams and, and jibs and all different types of uh, drones that they can get these shots with no effort at all. And these guys were sweating profusely in the woods, running and bleeding and carrying a board with a camera on it. And Yeah, he went ham when he finally could get the... Uh in Army of Darkness, like all the wide shots, he's like, "I want a thousand people running around. I'm going to swoop down <laughs> over all of them." And they're like, "Sam, you can't have a thousand people. <laughs> we'll give you two hundred. Um, I love all the subtle things in Army or in Evil Dead. Um, like there is this whole thing he had with uh, shoot who who did Freddy Krueger. What Wes Craven? Yeah. So, oh yeah, the back and forth. With oh, the I loved it. Um, yeah. So in the hills have eyes there is a ripped in half poster of jaws Mm -hmm. kind of symbolizing like that scared the shit out of you but what you're about to watch now is so much more terrifying yeah we're gonna take it up a a notch so in evil dead Raimi puts a ripped poster of the hills have eyes in the background of the cabin yep so then in uh nightmare on elm street Wes Craven has uh, Johnny Depp's character watching the the Evil Dead. And then in Evil Dead 2, there is a ripped poster of A Nightmare on Elm Street in the, I believe it's the shed. Well, actually, I think they have a Freddy claw hanging in the workshop. (laughs) Yeah, if you look close enough, there's... Then both of those things are there, and that's awesome, because we we specifically were looking for it. I I read that um, in the Bruce Campbell uh, autobiography yes. that you lent me, which yes. has been very helpful. Great book. Um, but that was like my favorite part, and I wanted to talk to it to you about it for so long, and I was like, save it for the cast. <laughs> no, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's stuff like that. I love stuff like that. Yeah, like little nods to um, you know people that again, you know, they drew the story from Lovecraft, and then, but you also when you're making the films, you give nods to people that came before you and did things that inspired you, and um, even when they walk into the cabin the first time or maybe the workshop they walk out and there's just little like chicken bones hanging from the ceiling and that was basically their nod to toby hooper and texas chainsaw massacre and again they're just kind of like it's a send up to the people that inspired you and got you you know to do what you're doing and and you know they i know that you know they did that and there's like there's no reason to have these chicken bones hanging in here but we're just going to do it because when we saw texas chainsaw massacre that was just one of those things that that sticks with you and they thought it was cool and they they threw it in their own movie in uh evil dead 2 ash has to cut off his hand and he puts his runaway demonic possessed hand in a bucket and on top of that bucket he uses yeah Yeah. that's great i love it they're so good with that stuff yeah and that's you know their sense of humor is another thing that that i always loved about Raimi and 
I know uh, Bruce Campbell talks a lot about it in his book about how they were all huge um, Three Stooges fans, which when I was growing up as a kid, that was the one thing I watched like more than like, you know, cartoons. I would watch Three Stooges on, you know, as long as they played them. It would be like eight in the morning till noon and I was watching the whole time. And I loved that show more than most at, at that age. Um, and then, yeah, reading the Bruce Campbell book talking about how they all of their, you know, uh, Sam's younger brother and everybody on set who was basically just a, a knockaround boy, they called them Shems. Shems. And they were all Shems, and I thought that was great. Yeah. And some of, like, you can definitely see the influences, especially in Army of Darkness and Evil Dead, too. Like, just the... This, the ridiculousness of the action, oh, I guess, absolutely. like the fight scenes. It's very, yeah, and that's and, and again, obviously tying it into um, his later jump into comic book movies. I mean, he always had that sense of just uh, super exaggerated, exaggerated fight scenes, and um, you know, when the zombie pops up, they're like heavy breath and they're making like huge over the top. Um, movements and facial expressions and it was like it was and they use like dutch angles and everything and it was just so comic booky and it obviously played a role later in his career but that's he had that style from the from the you know from the first movie he made i mean even within the woods within the woods it's interesting, like, because people have referred to Spider-Man to, like, some scenes of that are almost like a horror movie. And it's interesting that, you know, people will say it like that, like some of the Doc Ock attack scenes get scary like that. And then you have in Spider-Man 3, the, the scene where Tobey Maguire is an emo, you know, emo Tobey oh, Maguire yeah. and yeah. skipping down. And the people do not like Spider-Man 3, but that scene alone is gold. <laughs> like, it's so funny. I get exactly what he's doing. But I also feel like you have to understand the director yes. to get every part of what he's doing. And you have so much more of an appreciation for a film if you understand, like... Their earlier work and, exactly. and what they're, again, you know, giving nods to not only the directors that got them there, but their own stuff. Because, again, it becomes like an inside joke with him and, and Rob Tappert, his, like, longtime producer and friend, and, and Bruce Campbell, who is, you know, been his guy from the beginning. <laughs> and he, you know, gives him little... Throws him a bone for all of his, you know, bigger production films down the road. And... Yeah, I mean, even in Spider-Man 2, um, the scene where Doc Ock is getting operated on right after he got, you know, the arms fused to his spine, that whole scene is, like, right out of an Evil Dead movie. Like, all the camera work and... Um it is. I mean, it's. They have like the snap zooms and everything is is flying around and the people screaming and like the close ups on the face. Like it was, he shot that exactly like it was like you know a high budget Evil Dead movie. And I. And it does where it almost looks like panels of a comic book when you think about it that way, and you haven't seen anything, which I thought is you know that's brilliant for him to be able to do. Yeah. Um, not to jump around, I know we're going to touch on Darkman, but I know... In, no, a good segue, in, let's do it. In Darkman, he, he does a sequence where it's like a comic booky kind of uh, like bunch of cells panels and, and, and panels, and he basically did the exact same thing in, in Spider-Man 1 um, when... I guess, I think it's right when uh, Tobey Maguire gets bit by the spider and then they have this whole transformation and they do almost an identical scene to what they did in Darkman, but obviously, which, you know, the budget allowed for a much cleaner version of it. Um, and it's crazy. Darkman was the number one movie in the yeah. country for a, a minute until Ghost knocked it out. And he was pretty excited about that. And, you know, that's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> what a 
What do you think? Do you love Dark Man? Do you not? No, I do. My yeah. husband was not a fan, but I like it because I yeah. already liked it. I'm just predisposition to like it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I it was casted perfectly. I, yeah, I loved it. And, and even at that time, I mean, Liam Neeson was a pretty much an unknown. That was his first action role ever in mm-hmm. his career. I mean, he'd done prior to that. He'd, I know he'd done some movies and. Uh, the United Kingdom and Europe, but he was a pretty much an unknown in the States. And then he got that role and you know, obviously snowballed into a career for him. Um, and even uh, Frances McDormand, um, she was a pretty, you know, she was an unknown actress at the time, really. I think she was, she married uh, Joel Cohen, who was roommates with the Raimis when they were you know, in the 80s. And they kind of always were together. So I think I was reading the other day that they wanted to cast Julia Roberts for that role. Oh, wow. And she was like the front runner. The studio wanted her in that role because it's Julia Roberts. And at that time, she still had some some clout. And mm-hmm. But apparently, she had a relationship with Liam Neeson Oops. that they had just split pretty much before production of that movie. So they, they kind of withdrew her name from that. And, yeah, their relationship with the Coens is pretty interesting. Um, Joel Cohen helped edit yeah. Evil Dead. Helped uh, edit Evil Dead. I mean, the, yeah, they, they, the Cohen brothers and the Raimi brothers lived together in L.A. It's like young, aspiring <laughs> filmmakers. It's, yeah, the, the stories in that house were probably amazing. But they, yeah, they, they grew up together and you know they lived together for a few years they grew up in hollywood together and they started getting their careers going at essentially the same time and um i know you know their early films like the blood simple and um even like raising arizona for instance they used the evil dead camera rig mm-hmm. you know that that shaky cam is coming up to Nicolas cage and they all they drew that and you know right from Ramy and Ramy I, I think helped uh with blood simple a bit and again yeah joel cohen uh, edited or co-edited evil dead 2 and then yeah like their careers after that for a while paralleled each other you know they did yeah, uh, Hudsucker Proxy Sam Raimi wrote with them Bruce is, Campbell's in that too right he got bones yep. thrown for all of them yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure Raimi he was like brought uh, him with them no matter what they asked him to come audition for that and he was like no you know why because you know me and you don't say no in Hollywood a lot but this time I said no <laughs> And then they offered me the role. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's. I understood it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I mean that the, their careers have definitely uh, grew together because they, they again they learned so much from each other, and you know, in my opinion, they're they're a few of the best filmmakers doing you know doing it right now. Yeah, um, and they you know learning with somebody who's going through it with you at the same time is is amazing asset to have people you know trial by fire and it's funny it's almost like that's what uh Ramey's career kind of started on because they just were like we're just these kids in the woods and we're going to do everything we can do to get this movie they lived in that cabin for a while <laughs> with no running water or electricity <laughs> they you know went extended weeks over like shooting and you know they oh, still yeah. got the needed more money had to go back out and beg the amount of begging and then you know it, it luckily uh, I think they said what at Cannes Stephen King 
said that it it's like the newest the wildly ferociously new something rather yeah. our movie of of the year something like that so yeah. he called him he was like hey Stephen um, can we plaster that on literally everything oh, yeah. and he was like sure go ahead I have an old Evil Dead t-shirt from God knows when and it's got that quote right across the, the front <laughs> and on the back was you've got pretty skin give it to us so yeah I mean it, you know when it comes to securing money for these pictures it's not easy to do by any means and if you get some kind of shout out from somebody like Stephen King you have to ride that wave as far maybe as you can. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was Stephen King who to- told Dino about I know, I remember it was somebody big because once Dino came into the picture he was just like money! Yeah. <laughs> Make it rain. And I don't know if he, because I, I know um, in the beginning of Evil or Army of Darkness it's uh, De Sorrentis movie uh, and it's then after that it's the next title card is a renaissance uh, picture production or whatever so I know that he was involved in that I just don't know how when he came in or if he was like one of the huge backers of renaissance pictures he had to have been because renaissance backed Zena and Hercules which was also Raimi I just remember at the end of every one of those episodes it was like renaissance pictures so maybe they're all kind of like because well renaissance was Rob Tappert and Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert again was it was like those three stooges was Tappert you know Mm -hmm. Campbell and, and Raimi and Tappard and Ramey made uh, Renaissance and they shot all of their movies with with that company and then yeah like Rob Tappard's big claim to fame was he was like the creator of Xena which is by the way his wife Lucy Lawless Get is married to Rob Tappard yeah um, and Bruce Campbell was in that obviously mm-hmm. for a while and, and then she was just in the Evil Dead TV show yeah exactly so I mean it's all this like incestuous pod <laughs> that they've been breeding in for so long now but it's uh, I'll allow it yeah no it's, I think it's awesome I mean you should always yeah, you should, when you're doing it with your friends and that's one thing like he says in the book a lot like Evil Dead 1 you know they had to uh, pretty much do everything themselves so by the time Army of Darkness came around it was hard they're like well we are used to doing it this way where we do it but now you have an entire crew and production mm-hmm. in person and you could hire someone else to be the Schmitty or yeah, the Shemp <laughs> and, 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 and again I don't um, have that experience where we've had a big budget picture but I know I think there would be something difficult about um, relieving yourself of all these duties that you know you've done and you've been through the fire and you've learned from that and then to just be like have a producer be like well we've got A, B, C, and D now we've got this you know uh, a team of hundreds of people that are going to help you you know alleviate these things and take them off your plate you know it sounds great in theory but when you're a person who's been literally working in these like you know guerrilla style shoots with your buddies and you know you've all learned your role so perfectly well it's I'm sure I'm sure it'd be hard to relieve yourself of those duties because you know just putting that in somebody else's hands and hoping for the best I guess you're just like I know he knows how to do it yeah but maybe he doesn't (laughs) I know how to handle this piece of wood right now with the camera on it I love his never ending like want to torture Bruce Campbell Um, I know in Army of Darkness he wanted an entire like jazz kick dance scene with the uh, with the the skeletons so he made him do two weeks of tap dancing just to be like ah we cut the scene scene. (laughs) exactly and yeah every time you see 
Bruce Campbell running through the woods or flying through the woods or doing anything, he's always getting smacked in the face with tree branches. And like Sam Raimi made it a point to be like, I'm the one who's going to hit this guy in the face with the branch because I know how I want it done. And I just want to hit him in the face with the branch right now. And we're going to do 60 takes. And we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> and no, and that's uh, getting back to, to Dark Man. I read this thing the other day. It was the 30 years since it was released. Wow. And they were interviewing a bunch of people that had a hand in it. And uh, Danny Elfman did the music for it. And he was a huge fan of the Evil Deads at that point. And he's like, I think his quote was, if you know, there's certain people, certain directors and or people in Hollywood that if they call you, you're going to answer the phone no matter what and say yes. And so he had the opportunity to do Dark Man. And he showed up on set right uh, when they're shooting an outdoor scene with Liam Neeson and he's like standing outside on a curb and a car drives by and he gets a huge bucket of water in his face and so Sam Raimi goes to to the people on set he's like get this guy something to do so they gave Danny Elfman a bucket of water and he, he threw it in Liam Neeson's face when the car drove by <laughs> that's awesome and then he made the music for it that's so awesome yeah, when we were watching it the other day Ken was like this sounds a lot like the like the Keaton Batmans I was like Really, babe? Yeah, well, there's a reason for that. Yeah, good call. Yep. And, you know, even if uh, watching um, Army of Darkness, he didn't do the score for the movie, but he did the theme of the Marching of the Dead theme, which oh, is the yeah. one that they continuously play, and it sounds like an absolute, you know, it's a Danny Elfman track. So, you know, honestly, he didn't do the entire film, but he just did that one piece, and that is all you needed for that, you know, and yeah. it absolutely made it. And, yeah, that. So let's talk about Army of Darkness for a bit. I I love the first Evil Dead because it actually did scare me, mm-hmm. and I like scary movies. And they took such a hard turn with yes. the second one, and then they were like, you know what? Let's just flip the car. And I love them for what they are, but I I don't even know, like how do you even describe that movie? Yeah, well, they definitely leaned into the comedy heavily in that one, um, and just almost made it just like a. a cartoony almost uh, campy I mean yeah. it's so campy so, if you watch them in a row because campy doesn't even you know early campy doesn't know it's campy and that's what makes it campy but so I we think, get the quotes give me some sugar baby yeah they're like oh come on baby that's just what we call pillow talk this is my boomstick yeah I mean and there are some yeah there's there's definitely lines in that and I think again they, they definitely lean I mean the, the first fight scene when he's in the pit with the zombie she's doing like the oh, 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 wind up punch and it's like they did a, like a bunch of you know stooge basically fight scenes yeah and, and it was I think they kind of just like at that point we're like you know we we made the movie we wanted to make and we made it twice essentially and then actually well, I guess by the time Army of Darkness came out it was you know the first five minutes of that movie is again Evil Dead for the fourth yeah. time um, but I think they were just like you know what we're, we're at that point Sam Raimi was, was starting to to take off a little bit and they're just like we got money we're gonna make this movie but we're gonna kind of like it's gonna be like a tongue-in-cheek kind of you know goof fest the entire time with millions of dollars in the studio's money yeah because they had it so at that point you know it's him and his buddies are like let's just have a good time and absolutely reflected on the uh in the movie 
Um, speaking of iconic things, uh, the classic, the car. Oh, yeah. Um, what is it? Uh, I, I had it written down. Um, what kind it's of? It's not an Impala. Is it a Chevy Impala? I don't think I it's an remember. Impala. It's definitely, yeah, it's the yellow. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not uh, I had it written a Carsman, as it were. It was a DeVille. But, yeah, yeah, the Coupe DeVille, I think it might be. Yeah, that's um, it. And they all had one. I mean, it's, but they used the same the one. same and, one. Yes, in everything. Until it got destroyed accidentally in the beginning of Army of Darkness. Yeah. They had it. And if you watch that opening scene, um, they have the car drop out of the wormhole or whatever. Yep you'd like to call it that Bruce and uh, the classic go through and when they were filming it they hoisted it up on this big rig and not only did the rig break before they even hit action the entire like crane fell into a ditch along with his car (laughs) so the scene of the car dropping is actually from Evil Dead 2 when they did it with a different one and unfortunately that one that missed the shot was his actual like first one the the classic yeah Yeah. and I know I mean obviously that car became like you know one of his staple his signatures and and even in later stuff that he did he absolutely like peppered that thing in everywhere christine from drag me to hell that's her car yep exactly yeah um yeah and and i love again it's like having nods to people that you appreciate and then also like throwing in your own personal nods to yourself and to your the hard work and and your buddies and your own inside jokes and that goes a long way Let's uh, let's talk about Drag Me to Hell a little bit. Sure. <laughs> um, I love that movie. I love it, but just just because it's like his, it's actually a little bit scary. It's extremely messed up. Like I feel like he found that he did to that poor actress the things that he does to to Bruce Campbell. Absolutely. And I was like, she really took it like a champ. Like that chick had some some really gross shit happen to oh, her yeah. in that movie, from embalming like the body falling on her, embalming fluid, and uh. Um, so if you haven't seen it, the premise of this movie is uh, Christine works at a bank and she denies a gypsy woman uh, a loan. So the gypsy woman puts a curse on her and it's not just any curse. It's what you get like. Is it like a seven day thing? Do you remember? I, I know you have a couple days and every day the demon tortures you more and more. Yeah, the, the lamia. The lamia. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the, what the time frame was, but it was definitely, you know, not unlike... You know, thinner, uh, the Stephen King yeah. story. It's very similar to that, actually. Yeah. Now that Absolutely. Um, but, uh, and I don't remember the actress's name, um, but I feel like Raimi in that movie just went like ham. It was, that movie was so Raimi, it was like meta on itself. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I think in, you know, the, the most uh, Evil Dead ish scene in that movie is when they have the um the seance the table seance yeah yes. and like the, the goat looks like it looks like the deer head in the cabin and um <laughs> the guy who jumps up and is like he doing a little jig in, in the air <laughs> i mean that's yeah that that whole scene ah, is like, swelling uh, soul. exactly it's like <laughs> such a callback to to his earlier movies and that's like you know that that's the scene i enjoy the most mostly because of that and you know when that movie came out they like really riding the wave like oh it's the first horror movie Sam Raimi's made since you know Army of Darkness or you know whatever and yeah just I it's a good movie I just I didn't it didn't have that uh 
the flair that those early movies had for me that made them so special. And again, I think it's a lot of, you know, again, you're saying that she had seen embalming fluid and all this other stuff on it. For me, like, one of the biggest issues there that I had with it was the fact that he's using all CG for this, for these fluids now. And one of the things that I admired about these guys the most was, was their guerrilla tactics and using all practical effects. And even in Evil Dead, they have all that stop motion at the end, which was like amazing. Mm-hmm. And kind of when he's doing his new one, I was like, all right, well, like, now he's got this huge budget. He can use like make amazing practical effects and use all this stuff. And he just, there's like, nope, we're just going to do CG. If and I don't know if Bruce that was Campbell, he probably would have taken it on the Oh, show. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was one of the things that was like, ah, there was like, a lot was of like CGI in another missed, missed a moment there for me uh, with that movie. But yeah, it was. It was very brutal, though. She she had to kill that little kitty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Said. And then she got it puked back up on her, too. Oh, got right? it. There's so many horrible things. And I've just... He just laughs the whole time. And that's what he's really good at. Yes. Making, like, horrible things really funny. And I remember being, you know, watching the first one when I was younger. And the first half of the first one terrifies me. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're doing the cards and, you know, the, the sister starts yelling them out and she turns around and she's a deadite and it was just, you know, terrifying. Six then, of hearts, yeah. nine of spades. Yeah, exactly. And she turns around and she's... Wow, wow. And she just goes up and she's hovering. And that's, <laughs> and that's the same, like, movement that the guy's doing. Yeah, no, it's in, that, that uh, foot Dragon shot that, that is, like, so... It, it just it works so well of just seeing the the tips of the feet that are just in the air and, and that's for just whatever like a reason on the back. exactly it's just them you know it could be two P- PAs just holding her up in the air and they're just shooting her feet dangling and it just but it just works uh, for whatever reason that it just um, and, he, and again he does that in all of them you know mm-hmm. even with the guy that jumps up off the table and does the jig the first thing they do is they show his feet doing this doing the little tippy tap so what. I thought it was, you know, when they announced that he was going to be doing a Doctor Strange film, I was obviously really excited because I do like the Spider-Mans. I mean, I feel like Spider-Man 2 kind of laid the template for what the Marvel movies became today. And I'm interested that they're saying it's going to be the first MCU, like, horror movie. And I don't think they could have gotten anyone better to do it, especially with, based on the first Doctor Strange, like, how it looked, like, the whole multiverse thing, like, how he's going to do. But with what we're talking about now, I'm, like, interested to see what he's going to do with that mm-hmm. much CGI. Yeah. It's a lot. Well. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. I, I don't even want to speculate. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I agree that he's... You know, he, he laid a template for comic book movies to be made, and, and a lot of the stuff that he did in those early movies definitely carried over and are still used uh, at this point. And yeah, for me, I mean, I I think Spider-Man 2 was one of the best comic book movies made to this day still, even with all the, you know, MCU movies that are out there, and mm-hmm. obviously I'm not going to touch on DC, but I think <laughs> the Spider-Man 1, uh, Spider-Man 2 was just an amazing well done movie you know Toby Maguire aside agreed agreed that's why I'm interested to see you know I think Benedict Cumberbatch is such a good actor yes um I'm like I'm not worried at all. I'm so excited. I'm interested to see like how different. This is going to be such a different movie for him to make. Um, I can't think of it. I, I know he's done. He's produced a lot of stuff, but I can't mm-hmm. think besides the Spider-Man movies anything that would even come close to this. Yeah. Well, I, I, he did do that. Um, 
unfortunate, uh, I think it was Return to Oz movie with... Um, oh, yeah. Yes, he actually directed that, which was terrifying. But he... So he has had um, large-scale studio pictures, you know, that he's done so far. But, I mean, the, the comic book thing is something that he can definitely, you know, again, he's he's one of the template builders for those. And even a lot of that started with Darkman. I mean, most of the stuff that... I mean, Darkman was just a character that he wrote because he wanted to get the rights to uh, to do another... I think actually he wanted to get Batman and that was I think they came out the same year if I'm not mistaken I think really? 1990 um, but he wanted to, to get the rights to Batman or The Shadow which were both movies that were made Batman obviously was made by Tim Burton and was amazing mm-hmm. Shadow not so much mm-hmm. but so he basically just made his own character that was like a combination of them and like the Phantom of the Opera and that's how Darkman came and, but he just wanted to make a comic book movie and that's what essentially Darkman is a comic book movie but it's just it's not based on a comic book it's based on his his creation which was based on comic books yeah Um, which is so cool yeah and it just makes me think like Kevin Feige is just a damn genius like how this is such a good idea I, I couldn't think of any like to to do the first horror movie and have it be a Doctor Strange movie, which is you know magic and mysticism and old books. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's right in his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, aren't they doing? Isn't isn't there another horror movie coming out? That's the Nightmare on Elm Street three remake. Or oh, that that was um, New Mutants. Yes, and I believe that I, that was the last Fox. One and that already came out. Went right to streaming. Did it really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Or I actually think it was in the movie theaters, but it might. I don't think it's streaming now. But it was like movie theaters, and I guess people went and saw it. I know that they saw it on the podcast, and uh, you know they said it was a movie. Yeah. Well, then again, that was bastardized by the studios. I think like three different times they like remade that movie and had to do reshoots because they just couldn't figure out what they wanted to do. And it's a lot of, of again going back to Darkman. Uh, the studios basically came in and, and bastardized that movie because Raimi was a young director and they kind of wanted to control him so they, they didn't want him to use his DP that he used before that so they brought in another DP that he used for that movie and then when they first put it together like the one that him and Rob Tappert wanted to make the studio basically was like no we're going to make this like thanks for your help we're going to take what you did and we're going to make our own movie from it and then sell this and if I'm not mistaken I think I was reading this thing of that Rob Tappert was talking about how they went in after the movie was basically bastardized and they took out scenes that, that Sam Raimi you know, really loved and, and changed the movie completely, essentially, to make their own studio movie. And Rob Tappert and them went into the editing bays right before it dropped and basically recut it their own That's way awesome. and added and took things out and added stuff that they wanted back in. And then they released that version that they came back in and, and tried to save at least a little bit. And nobody said anything to him because the movie obviously went to number one. So the studio did come back. Yeah, if it it bombed, then the studio would be like, "You will never work again." I think he he had he gave Bruce Campbell the job on that as like sound producer. Yeah. Yeah. And so Francis McDormand would come back or came back to do you know voiceover stuff for stuff that didn't go well. And I remember I think I read an interview. She was so upset because so many of her scenes Mm -hmm. got cut from that movie. 
Um, and I think I can't remember. I, that was probably what got lost in like that end little bit when they were trying to get what they wanted back in. But you know, as an actor, I'm sure that's so frustrating. Like you go and you film all these awesome scenes, and then you go see the movie, and you're like, um, where did my scene? Yeah, what, what about happened? that scene that yeah. I got hit in the face with the branch 18 times? <laughs> no, and yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, unfortunately, some actors get cut completely out of films, which is a bummer. Uh, mm-hmm. Even more so, but yeah, um, Bruce Campbell did the audio mixing on that and came in and basically just screamed for a few hours in the, in the booth and was the voice of all of the goons dying at any given point in time and did a couple of the uh, ADR voiceovers for Liam for Darkman's character. Like if they had a line that they needed him to say, Bruce Campbell would actually just they just plugged it in with him. And also, he was not credited, but he was actually Darkman. Like, the fully really? clothed, costumed, and makeuped Darkman was Bruce Campbell. No way. Around. Yeah, like he the whole put thing that in on. his book? Yeah. He huh. uh, wore the whole suit and, and everything. <laughs> but you would never know, because, again, at, at, at the times where he was wearing the, the hat and the cloak and the gauze all over his face, like, he could have been anybody, anybody. in there. And it was, uh, it was Bruce Campbell. He, yeah, I love it. Their relationship's just like so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he, I think in Evil, not Evil Dead, in Army of Darkness, he had hit his head at one point during the filming and there was just like blood all over his face. And Raimi was like, no, just Run throw some it. of that glue, glue cement stuff in there and we're just going to keep going. Like, he's fine. He's fine. I'll let you know when he's not okay. Exactly. Yeah, when your childhood friends are, you know, grew up together making movies. Then you're absolutely given that the the liberty to you know tell your buddy to shut up and and, and keep running with it and <laughs> you know because that's they're, at that point they're basically brothers because they've been through so much together so I'm sure he knew uh, Bruce's pain tolerance or threshold at that point. Uh, uh, not a horror movie, but one of my other favorite movies from him are, is uh, The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, which has all the same kind of shots well, yeah, and the say, same you kind go of to, like, comic booky type. Mm-hmm. You know that movie. That whole movie was shot like a like a comic book. Um, yeah, no, I I thought that movie was great. And again, you know, once he used, I think, two DPs throughout his career, and it was like the early ones he used. And I think it was. Bill Pope was the one that they got for Darkman, and then he used him on just a, everything else after that. Um, but yeah, they, they, you know, again, like, there's a lot of those like snap zooms, like the really quick zoom in that was like is an old thing that's not used anymore these days because, uh, you know, there's a lot of techniques that people just don't use anymore, which I think is a shame, but he did all of those things and a lot of the Dutch angles and, and, yeah, that movie was absolutely shot like a comic book. And I, I think that's a that movie was ho- horribly received, but I thought it was actually a really fun movie. I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, I, I feel like now, it, it, later, it became more famous, and you know, honestly, it was like people didn't care about female leads and mm-hmm. like. And I thought Sharon Stone killed it; like she was so good in that movie. Oh yeah, um, everybody was good. I mean, Little the Leo. cast was amazing. Gene Hackman was like <laughs> outstanding, and yeah, Leo and obviously Russell Crowe and. I mean, yeah, the cast in that was amazing, and, and for how it kind of fell flat was kind of a, a That shame. was Russell Crowe's, like, first big American film, I think. Was I it? think yeah, a lot I mean, of people didn't know who he was at that well, point, Well, yeah, if you hadn't seen Hopper Stomper, then I guess <laughs> you were probably out in the cold with, uh, with, with Russell Crowe at that point. Um, 
But yeah, he was, I mean, that was just, that was a good movie. And I mean, for me, one of my favorite Raimi movies that's kind of lost in the shuffle because it's not an over-the-top, it's like his most straightforward movie movie that he made was A Simple Plan. That's um, and, Bill Paxton and yeah, Billy me, Bob Thornton? That's, yeah, it's the Holy Trinity. It's Bill Paxton and Sam Raimi and uh, Danny Elfman does the music for that. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like so out of both of their realms, And but they made some of their most like beautiful work. Uh, the music in that movie is amazing, and if you played it for somebody, they would have no idea that Danny Elfman makes it because all of his music sounds exactly the same, and, and you could you know, pick one of his tracks out of a lineup and know exactly who it is. But that movie, uh, the music, again, that's the one I stole the music for <laughs> my trailer for. Uh, that's a different story, but yeah, I mean, that movie was just so well done. And again, it kind of, it, it makes me think about uh, his relationship with the Coen brothers because that came out, I think like two years after Fargo. And that movie is like so similar in tone to like how Fargo was. Um, without like the comedy that the Coen brothers add to you know their movies, there's a lot less. Yeah, that's a good point. Comedy in that one, but again, it ties back to the fact that these guys' careers are all so um, closely entangled that that the movies that they're making even later in life are all like super. You know, you can see the fingerprints of each other on on their movies. That's and it's so awesome. Like I feel like you don't see people work together so well as much as you do with like directors and mm-hmm. film and writing and. It's so much better not to have like a competition and just try to like lift up your fellow person or artist and get them to the place where you're all on top. You know, you yeah. all have number one movies and you're all crushing it. Absolutely. And you get to all do it together. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a weird competitive edge that some people in Hollywood, you know, don't live that way where they're trying to help others and they're trying to do best for them but again if you have like a collective of people that are extremely talented they're all gonna rise to the top no matter what because they're all so good and you know again like I said that would have been an amazing apartment to uh, sit on the couch and listen to the conversations uh, in the why 80s on the but, yeah, wall for, the, for this <laughs> even like going back to like the evil dead um, making that the music, the sounds, mm-hmm. the sound effects, like everything in that is so original and so terrifying yeah. and perfect. Uh, yeah, no, the sound mixing they do for all of those are, are so good. Um, you know, just <laughs> even yeah, just the, the gore sound effects and just the the decisions that they use for their um, sound mixing is was was really amazing and. Again, they made those movies so much richer because a lot of the time back then you had those like, you know, grimy uh, kids in the woods kind of <laughs> movies and, and some of the biggest issues were audio, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why like so many Italian movies, no matter what, they're just doing it in post. All of it, everybody was just ADRing and just doing the lines over because that's just why they just made them that way because it was easier to record than trying to do it in the field and... Um, but they would then, at that point, miss out so much more on, like, building, you know, the atmospheric sound like they did in the Evil Deads because they just built those sounds and it made the movie so much more impactful, I think. 
Yeah, it's like, I hate to use the word iconic again, but it is to those movies, like those sounds, those monster, those demon yeah. sounds. It's com- you don't hear that anywhere else, and it is absolutely terrifying. The voices of the Deadites, like, they got them so right. Like, they're just so good. And, <laughs> and they're, uh, like, all the makeup, like, those poor actors had to go through it. They had to wear thick, plastic, full-eye contact lenses that you couldn't see anything out of. So whenever you see someone as a demon in the first one, they can't see anything oh, yeah. that's happening. Yeah. They're not like the contacts these days that you get uh, online. And, and they would do the, the shoots for so long that the, they would peel the makeup, would peel the skin mm-hmm. off their faces. And, you know, they you know they gave it their all. Well, they, <laughs> and, but he particularly, again, like the actors definitely went through it, but the people in, in Raimi's, you know, closest circle went through it the most because he's like, who am I willing to torture the most here? He's like, oh, my brother and Bruce. And my they're going to get it, you know, worse than anyone Good old else. Ted. And so, yeah, when you have, you know, he falls into heaven. Henrietta's fruit cellar, and she's you know stumbles out. That's that's uh, Sam Raimi's younger brother in that massive bodysuit, <laughs> and they were like pouring sweat out of holes in this thing and then filling up Dixie cups yeah. and then you know, at the one point where he's spinning around there's liquid flying out of the ears of the costume and it was just sweat because he was spinning and all the liquid was just flying out because he was just in his own filth in this costume and sweating and probably you know on the brink of life but uh, you know it was his brother so he's like I don't, you know yeah. young and dumb yeah exactly come here Ted yep. we have a plan here <laughs> You're in the suit tonight, buddy. My thing with the difference between uh, the story that they presented in The Evil Dead first, The Evil Dead 2, is even though it was not as put together, I feel like the first one had more of a complete story for why they were there. Like, you rent the cabin, you go downstairs, you find the books, mm-hmm. and this and that, and it's like a group of friends, where in the second one, they rush through it so fast. Well, I mean, in the second one, <laughs> literally, he turns into a deadite and chops his girlfriend's head off before the 10 minute marker in the movie so before 10 minutes happens like the entire first you know first hour of the of evil dead happens like again you know and then he manages to do that in you know a minute and a half in evil in the army of darkness but yeah i mean i think you know even look at looking back at the first one um bruce campbell was like you know, until everyone else died, he was like this sniveling. He was like the weak, weak link, and it was the other guy who was oh like God. fighting everybody he off. He got and taken down by every bookshelf yeah, in that entire these, thing. Like, like Scotty's getting stabbed to death, mm-hmm. and bo- he can't get up because he, one panel getting, of he's trapped bookshelf. under you know four two by fours <laughs> on the floor. But and then so yeah, again, that's what I was saying earlier. Is that I think like Evil Dead Two, they kind of like trimmed the fat in areas where it's like, well, we're just going to combine Bruce with this other guy and make him more of like you know a hero. In this one, and we're going to cut out the idea of like multiple couples. It's just going to be him and her. But then we're going to get into the idea of the archaeologist who lived in this cabin, and that family, his family, comes into the you know yeah, randomly shows up yeah to, and, to find mom and dad who've yeah, already been yeah, turned poor into sweet ice. Henrietta in the basement. Yeah, it's I mean, so I, there's. The first one was definitely like, this is, we're making a horror movie in the woods and we're doing, we're working with what we can. And the second one was like, now we get some money, like, let's have have a good time. Yeah. And (laughs) let's do a cool movie. And I, you know, again, that's why I enjoyed that so much because I, even in stuff that I do and write, I try to, I don't like, 
the idea well I don't want to say I don't like it but like horror comedies are one thing but when you, people say horror comedy they think of like Shaun of the Dead and just like horror or comedy movies that like have a zombie in it or like a where you know or like, like someone like you or I would think of like Dead Alive by yeah, Peter Jackson yeah I think yeah like I like having horror movies with a sense of humor not like a comedy movie that ha- that's dealing with you know mummies or something you know mm-hmm. I, I think and he really got that I mean obviously by the time that Army of Darkness came out he took it to a whole different level but um, <laughs> I think that was more just out of like you know again a, a tongue in cheek like we can do whatever we want to now because we've got studio money um but even in the first one, you know, there's it's it's a, it's just a raw, you know, young kids making a horror movie. But there's they still have that like sense of humor in there, and that's you know again made it stand out from all the other horror movies at the same time that were doing super similar things. Yeah. He's a genius. He's a good one. He's a good one. Yeah, as I said, we haven't touched on which something we need to touch on because it was. I feel like I forget something. His other production company. That's his, and I believe Rob Tappert's as well. What's that? Ghost House. Oh. Which, um, so obviously Renaissance is what they made all of his, the early stuff on, and, you know, they had a run. They had all of his early movies, and, and they have a... I think a bunch of like Van Damme movies on the catalog, and a bunch Indeed of and Hercules. a bunch of yeah, exactly, and a bunch of TV shows, and then and then they really hung their hat on the on the Xena um, catalog after that. But then yeah, in two thousand two, they made Ghost House um, productions or pictures or whatever, and that was for me. I was like, all right, like they're going to start doing, you know, this is going to be like their time to you know do for others what they wanted when they were making their early movies and they're going to give these you know they're going to be their Dino exactly (laughs) and I thought that's kind of what they were going to do with that and then if you look at the catalog from Ghost House it's like really really bad like well, they I hate, he he even produced they, that new grudge movie he did all of them they, they did the first like that was the first one they did I think in 2002 was the first the grudge you didn't like the did, I, uh, I don't know I mean <laughs> I just preferred to watch the originals of all of these and oh and yeah not, those you know, like, I agree yeah just because like they made it in Japan you know a year before that it's like you know we're not capable of watching movies with subtitles or whatever even though it was a better it's before their time of the movie we're a lot more acceptable of it now Yes, when we're getting there, absolutely. <laughs> but I, I feel like we just need to Americanize it real quick. And, and I feel like they, with Ghost House, they kind of just jumped on that ship and started doing that. I'm like, and that was kind of disappointing. I'm like, where where they could have taken what they had built and make this thing where they're giving, you know, young, raw, talented directors, writers, like they were in the you know late 70s, early 80s, um, and then give them a platform. Like, yeah, let's make that thing that you just wrote because it's awesome. And Instead, they kind of took it the other way. Like, well, let's just be like Michael Bay and make just bad versions of other movies. And then if you look at, I don't even know the list of movies, but I, I was looking at it the other night and I was like, oh boy. It's just, it's not pleasant with the, uh, the entire catalog that they put out in Ghost House. And I'm like, well, what was uh, that recent one he did with the, the crocodiles? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Uh, crawl? Crawl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ghost House. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really amazing that you would think that somebody like with 
this sounds but but again like that could just be like and I don't know how involved they are with that or if it's just something that's like we're making money and this is our name like our names are behind this and we're a big part of what the studio is and we built it but we're not necessarily making all the creative decisions behind it I don't know what their actual role is in Ghost House and in the movies but like what they did on that was not uh, and like you know they the remake of Evil Dead which was I was just gonna 2013 or something like that I don't even know when it was but that was on Ghost House as well obviously because he definitely had a hand in producing it but what did you think about that um I, I I don't know I got I I watched it once when it came out again I don't, I don't remember how many years it, it was at this point but I didn't love it when I watched it and I know from like reading about it these days it, it seems to have gotten like a cult following of people that think it's like a great classic horror movie in its own right whether it's you know has anything to do with the first Evil Deads or not like people seem to really like it genuinely think it was scary but I I need to give it another watch before I actually give some kind of opinion on it one way or the other but it didn't stand out to me when I first saw it yeah I appreciate that it wasn't more it wasn't an exact remake like it had its own story (laughs) um, that they kind of stuck to the they made a scary movie or attempted to make a scary movie you know they had their effects were okay they didn't do too much CGI most of it was like pretty gross you know trying to stick to the original kind of effects um, but it wasn't a great story yeah and that's kind of my biggest uh, issue with with today's you know the horror genre has kind of just gone to let's remake everything oh I'm so disgusted do you see the remake like schedule for the next I two years it's like I don't, the exorcist yeah I just I, I, I think Candyman might be okay but it's just, just stop why do we why do we need that and that's my you know the thing with the remake of Evil Dead um it, it didn't hold... Tr- I mean, the reason, again, I was saying that those movies were so special is because of a lot of the, you know, the, the cool techniques they were using to make the, the films themselves. But they also had, like, their own personalities. And they stood out because they were special because they had a personality. And the new one was just like, oh, it's a decent horror movie, but it doesn't need to be called Evil Dead. Then make a new horror movie. You know, yeah. you don't need to remake Evil Dead and then, well, we're not going to do it like Evil Dead. Then don't do it. Then yeah. figure something else out and make that movie. And you don't need to just remake these movies because people are so in love with nostalgia and want to see the same movie being remade over and over again. And I know there's a huge wave of that right now because some of them hit and some of them miss. Like they remade Pet Cemetery. I mean, I guess when they're pulling from a, a, a book, it's not really a remake as much as just a reimagining of, of a story I guess but I, I didn't even really like that did you no I, I mean like I it. loved the I mean the original Pet Cemetery. I think was the first one of the first horror movies I ever watched yeah. as a kid when I was probably about seven the sister and the sister scared me so bad Pascal was like a good guy and he terrified me and I was sweating like <laughs> Sam Raimi's younger brother under a blanket watching that movie <laughs> when I was like seven and had no business watching that and uh, that movie just 
stuck with me, um, whether it was like a great horror movie or not. But so they had to remake or you know whatever whatever you re- call yeah, it exactly they did. whatever it is at this point. Um, so I guess if it's based on a, a book source, it's, it's just you know reimagining a source material. But when you're doing something like The Evil Dead, that was just written as a movie. Like this is what this is the source material because that's all there is. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to like stay true to that, in my opinion, or just leave it alone. Just don't you don't need to remake you know make another movie about yeah. a cabin in the woods which they've made millions of but that's what I'm so worried with this like it's been so long and nobody's really tried to take up the mantle of doing The Exorcist and the fact that you know they're doing it now I'm just like there's no there's some films that you just shouldn't touch this is one of them you'll never be able to do it again just like with The Evil Dead there's things in those films that you'll never be able to recreate no matter how hard you try The Exorcist was it's unlike any ever movie ever made the impact that it had on society like the social experiment of it within itself will never happen again um and you can say it's just because of what year it came out or this and that, but I, I, I disagree. Like, if they had dropped that movie now, people would still lose their shit. Yeah. Um, so there's no, there's nothing that you're going to be able to do. So why, you know, if you're just doing it for money and that's, you know, well, that's, I don't mean, you know, not, didn't see it yet, obviously, but I'm telling you, it's not going to be good. Yeah. I mean, again, they, <laughs> they rarely are. There's, there's a lot fewer hits than there are misses when it comes to remaking a lot of these older horror movies and again you've got sleazy you know money hounds like Michael Bay who are just buying up the rights to all these old movies that like I grew up loving as a kid like all you know they they remade Friday the 13th for some reason and I, I know Michael Bay had his greasy hands on that one and they did the same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street and they were just oh, terrible so bad why are you horror is like the one genre where, where you can literally make a story about anything you know if you can make a story about killer tomatoes and and, and I mean it's limitless so to remake movies just because you know that that franchise had a price tag on it is, is just soulless and that's kind of what's been killing horror for the last 20 so you know years I think I've said my piece and counted to three Okay, before we wrap up, since the sun's coming up, there have been a few hard gems recently. It's not totally hopeless. <laughs> uh, I know we're both really enjoying what uh, Robert Eggers has been doing recently. Uh, so, like The Witch and uh, The Lighthouse. Um, I know his next film is going to be a medieval epic uh, about Vikings with uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who was Eric Northman in True Blood, which is another one of my favorites. And uh, I think it's called The Northman, which is even funnier. <laughs> and I think Nicole Kidman's going to be in that, and I hope it's horror. But like The Witch and, and those movies, uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, The Lighthouse. It's just it was amazing. Ex- I think not just uh, Robert Eagers, but that whole studio, A24, are doing amazing movies all across the board. Everything they've been putting out recently has been amazing. Even like non-horror movies like Uncut Gems was A24, and that was amazing too. That studio's doing good work, and they're definitely a studio to keep your eye out for. 
California and like the lighthouse was just unreal and and that's our new Batman Robert Pattinson yeah exactly and honestly it's like I've only seen him in the Twilight movies and like the Harry Potter movies and I saw him in a couple other ones but that one I felt like really showed his acting chops and I was honestly a little bit more excited about him being Batman after that performance yeah no he definitely held his own I mean Willem Dafoe was uh, amazing in that movie he's such he's amazing best performances one of the best I've seen in a while Um, and yeah Pattinson did well he held his own with him and you know it's a two man show basically and and he definitely came off well because again I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff prior to that myself because I unfortunately did not see the Twilight series unfortunately uh, yeah Uh, (laughs) but uh, he did well in the lighthouse and that's definitely a good flick to check out like stylistically it's right up my alley it's kind of stuff that I I like doing and I I would imagine he probably learned so much from Defoe yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, having like a vet like that on the set, you can only uh, up your game and you start playing off each other, um, especially in a small setting like that. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you can take something from everybody you work with, but on that production in particular, I mean, that guy's a fountain of knowledge, I'm sure. He, he definitely had to take something from that. And then there's uh, Ari Aster, mm-hmm. and he did uh, Midsummer and Hereditary, which I thought were both pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The casting, you know, Tony Collette just crushed Hereditary. Yeah, and then uh, Florence Puh, who is our new Yelena for uh, Black Widow, yeah. was in Midsummer. And if you, you know, you want to see her acting chops, like that movie is the one to see. Like that movie was wild. Yes, absolutely. Very gives you a very uncomfortable feeling when you're done with it. But also a very warm feeling. It was uh, was good all across the board. Anything you want to add? Anything we didn't touch on? No, I mean, honestly, I think we've conquered everything in the world of uh, Raimi, I guess, at least for the time being. (laughs) All right, well, thank you, Brian, so much for joining me. This was so awesome. Absolutely, I had a blast. You can check out Brian's work on his business website, DeLorean Productions, his personal website, brianandbrennan.com, or on YouTube at Children of Invention. I'll have the links to the sites in the show notes. Thank you for listening to PandaVision. We are a member of the Stranded Panda Network. And as my hero, Avira, says, unpleasant dreams, and remember, we'll be watching. Thank you for listening to PandaVision. We are a member of the Stranded Panda Network. For all of our podcasts and other creative geeky projects, check out strandedpanda.com. 